Today's episode of The Outside World is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Oklahoma Sooner tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the Game Time app in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. It's not about what the outside world thinks, it's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room, and the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. Another edition of The Outside World starts right now. I'm John Hayes. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at John Hayes on air, and you can follow Jason Kersey as well, at Jason Kersey. It's Veterans Day, so first and foremost, I want to say thank you to all of our, our veterans who are currently serving now and who have served us in the past and have paid the ultimate price uh, to serve this great nation. So with that, Jason, I want to welcome, welcome you onto the show. Yeah, John, good to be with you. I, I've got to tell you this, and we're going to get into it a little bit later on, is a, a story that popped up on my athletic feed this morning titled The Letter in the Wall, the story of Radio Man Third Class Lawrence Meredith. And I scroll down and I see the byline and I say, man, that's, that's, that's from my guy, Jason Kersey. So before we get into that, and we're going to in depth later in the show. Um, how did this come together, Jason, this story? Briefly, if you could just share that with the audience before we get into some talk about the Sooners. Yeah, I mean, um, it's not really OU related. It is uh, Oklahoma City related. Um, yeah, it's 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 the craziest thing I've I've probably ever uh, experienced, um, or one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. Um, my friends bought a house in Oklahoma City, an old house that was built in 1917 and had been sort of remodeled. And um, my friend James Warren was was doing some remodeling of his own inside the house and removing this built-in china cabinet and uh, when he did these two letters fell out of the wall um, uh, from the 1940s and uh, they were letters written written home to from a guy in the coast guard and one of them was to his little brother lawrence meredith who who the story is mostly about and um basically just spent three pages uh, practically begging Lawrence to go to college. And we can get into the rest of the story later, but um, it was pretty remarkable. From there, we did some research and, and discovered uh, everything else that, that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Don't know if I did a good job of teasing that. <laughs> no, you certainly did. And you can find it at theathletic.com slash the outside world. That's theathletic.com slash the outside world. Search Jason Kersey and you'll find the story. Uh, but this is a Sooners podcast, so we've got to hit the the win this weekend, a 42-41 to 41 win at home at night over Iowa State that felt like an easy W at halftime, Jason. It didn't turn out that way. Uh, Brock Purdy was intercepted on what would have been a game-winning two-point conversion at the end of that football game. Iowa State and Matt Campbell decide to go for two and the W. Can you take us back to that moment? inside the stadium 
Jason, can you talk to us about the 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 sobering realization that if this two point conversion converts converts, Oklahoma may lose? Yeah, um, it, it was a little bit crazy. I mean, Oklahoma was so good. Uh, especially offensively in the first half. I mean, they scored 35 points. They had almost 400 yards of offense in the first half. And they led, yeah, 35 to 14 um, at halftime. And it seemed like they were going to win this thing going away. But Iowa State came right out of the the break and drove down the field and scored. Um, Oklahoma's offense stalled a little bit. Um, uh, Jalen Hurts was not sharp in this game. His numbers are going to end up looking good, but – uh, he was not sharp. Even in the first half, he was almost intercepted twice, one of which would have been a pick six for sure. Um, and, uh, and yeah, after halftime, uh, the defense really collapsed. It looked it, it looked like they'd gone back to last year again. I mean, they were missing tackles, um, all those sorts of things. And so, But even when I left the press box to go down to the field, uh, as I normally do with about you know eight or so minutes left, it still felt like OU was probably going to win by two or three touchdowns. And then... Uh, by the time I got down there, it was 42-35, and, uh, and then Jalen Hurts threw a, a really bad interception that set Iowa State up to, to score uh, with, with very little time left, and it was pretty clear they were going to go for two. Um, but yeah, Parnell Motley intercepts the ball. I know there's a lot of Iowa State fans who think that he should have been called for pass interference on that play, and um, you know I'm not, I, I'm not an official, so I, I can't say for sure. Uh, I think that it's probably uh, debatable about whether it was pass interference or not, but he certainly um, intercepted the pass. It wasn't called. No, you survives. I really liked your, your postmortem that you wrote for the athletic, how Oklahoma's good day almost turned into a nightmare of a night. You can find that on the athletic as well. I gave you the promo code, by the way, that's 40% off the athletic.com slash the outside world. You, you can go there and read all of Jason's uh, great writing. It's funny that you mentioned good day and nightmare of a night because you know th- these are, th- this is one of those situations where, and it's happening across the country that uh, daylight savings time kicks in and you, you're feeling good. And then all of a sudden that sun goes down and you're late in football games and, and things change. I mean, I'm trying to understand what the difference is here with this defense. And the first half where they looked okay and it looked like a bounce-back performance, but then the bottom falls out just yet again for the, for the second straight performance. I'm trying to understand why there is such a fine line between this defense playing well and this defense not being able to stop a 80-pound uh, peewee football team. Well, I think I think the the Iowa State is a pretty good offense. I think that's that's part of it. But the other thing is, it, it just it feels a lot of times out there like they're they're moving slower, they're thinking more, and that was what made them so good early in the season. It was like they weren't really thinking out there; they were just doing. And I, I you know, I can't prove that because I'm not I'm not in their heads. But that's sort of one aspect of it. The other thing is, they are missing tackles uh, all of a sudden and and in this game especially there were some really ugly missed tackles uh tackles that they made earlier this season and you know busted coverages things like that that you you almost think that if they just can correct those things that game turns out a lot differently maybe maybe they do win by two or three touchdowns so you know I, I don't know I'm almost hesitant to to go too far and say that they've completely fallen off the face of the earth and it's, it's Mike Stoops all over again, even though that 
<clears throat> pardon me, that is what it feels like in some ways. But you you look at it and you think, man, if 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 Delaren Turner Yell tackles the way he did earlier this season, if Jaden Davis tackles the way he did earlier this season, then maybe this game feels completely different. But the problem is, is that Oklahoma was already fighting that perception even when they were playing good defense. People thought they weren't because of previous seasons. And now they're putting that stuff on tape. And again, like you know, like you mentioned in, in my story, I mean, we're, we're talking about a day that should have been a really great day for OU. Everything, or almost everything, was breaking their way. You had uh, Penn State uh, go down. I'm very sorry for your loss, by the way, John. Um, That's okay. You had, I, was, <laughs> I, I was upset for the record since you brought it up. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> Well, I, I just I feel think, like, yeah. I feel I like if I bring just, up Penn State, I, I have to apologize. Yeah, it's okay. I appreciate you bringing it up on the podcast. And by the way, for those listeners out there, I'm a 2010 grad of, of Penn State University. Yeah. So so anyway, so that happens. Um, and, and then you had uh, LSU beat Alabama, which I think really worked in their favor because you had the LSU schedule. It was one of those things. If LSU had lost, they may have stayed above OU because of their strength of schedule. But Alabama potentially could have fallen behind OU. But OU had to win big. They've got to be impressive in this month. Um, they've got to have style points. These are humans making this decision. And winning by one point at home against Iowa State, a three-loss Iowa State team, is not going to be good enough. Um, and we already see in the AP rankings um, that OU, uh, I think, uh, maybe actually dropped a spot. And you, uh, you know, those sorts of perceptions are there. And now I think it's going to be even more of an uphill battle to get back into that playoff picture. Even though Baylor is undefeated and they go to Waco and game day is going to be there, that's all great. But this is a data point. This game is a data point, and they and they didn't they were not as impressive as they needed to be. And the crazy thing is, until halftime, they were. Exactly, and that's why I had to bring up the point about this Jekyll and Hyde football team right now because, you know, it, it seems like one second. It's a team that can win a national championship, and, and and the next second, it's a team that might lose two out of the next three football games to to finish the season. And by the way, you you were spot on with that. Oklahoma did fall from from ninth to tenth in in the AP poll. Uh, we won't find out the the updated college football playoff rankings until Tuesday night, but I, I do expect Oklahoma to be still in contention and since you brought up that point about the college football playoff I think there's a, a, a number of different ways that we could we could take this discussion Jason and I think the most important thing to say is that Oklahoma survived 42 they to did. 41 42 to 41 or 43 to 42 however you want to put it the other way around and we're, we're having a discussion about Oklahoma being out of contention right now. So I think if, if you're an Oklahoma fan, if, if, if your goal is to win a Big 12 championship and, and go to the college football playoff, today you can look at that box score. You can see 42 to 41, and you can say, you know what, let's put it in the rear view because undefeated Baylor in Waco is quite the test. TCU's playing well. They almost had Baylor beat. That game goes into three overtimes on Saturday. And at Oklahoma State, that game's not going to be easy either so all of a sudden things have gone from zero to 60 for this Oklahoma Sooners football team yeah I mean it, it's um it, it really it, you're you're right that they did win and and that's one point that Lincoln Riley repeated uh that you know we had to win we have to keep winning that's the most important thing we can't think about anything else and that's that's all true but on some level if you want to get back to the college football playoff I mean John we were talking 
three, four weeks ago about this potentially being the best team in the country, the most complete team in the country. And they certainly looked that way after they beat Texas. Um, after, after all the numbers that they were putting up early, uh, after the way that Jalen hurts was playing early in the season. And here's the thing about Jalen hurts. Um, I, I think it's important to be realistic about this. And I, I know that, you know, people may not want to hear this, but it's the truth. Jalen hurts is not Kyler Murray and he's not Baker Mayfield. And we maybe were being fooled a little bit earlier this year by some of the numbers he was putting up. Um, his, he is not the passer that they were his, his, uh, you know, instinct to uh, leave the pocket as quickly as he does and his instinct to keep the ball on some of these options, um, I think is, is, is a problem. And, uh, it's a problem that, that clearly is, is impacting the offense. If, if Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield was quarterbacking that Oklahoma team the other night. I think we're we're talking about a different game, and so uh, that that's that's important. I think to to be realistic about this, Jalen Hurts is not the best player on that team. CD Lamb is the best player on that team, and it's not even close. What CD Lamb is doing is absolutely absurd. It's unbelievable. He he is truly a a freak of nature. CD Lamb is somebody we've talked about on the pod quite a bit, Jason. His numbers uh, from Saturday against Iowa State: eight receptions, 167 yards, two tutties. That's 20 yards a catch. His longest was a 63-yard catch. And man, this guy knows how to put on a show. And you're talking about a kid that could become maybe the top wide receiver drafted uh, in the NFL, and it just continues to show uh, the amount of of talent that is on this, this offense. And if, if Lincoln Riley can find a way to continue to get him involved in the offense, because that's a good thing right now, Jason, because in the beginning of the season, right, what were we talking about? We were saying C.D. Lamb needs to be more involved in the offense. And now here we are. It's November, and we're saying to ourselves, this is the best guy on the football team. Lincoln Riley has done an incredible job of highlighting him on the offensive side of the football and feeding him the rock. Do you expect to see more of that in the next three football games? I think you have to. Uh, I, th- I think he has got to have the ball in his hands. I mean, what? And the thing is, he 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 single handedly is making Jalen Hurts' numbers look better. Just look at the two touchdowns from the other day. The first one, Jalen Hurts heaves it up there. I don't know how C.D. Lamb came down with that ball, uh, or or how it you know sort of landed in his hands. I mean, it's the guy has just a natural instinct for the ball. There was that. Then on the second one, it was just another example of his both strength and his uh, just incredible uh, agility, his 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 instincts, his vision, all of those things you saw on display on that first on that second touchdown. Pardon me. Um, it's the same thing that we saw. It's similar to what we saw in the Kansas State, the screen pass that he took all the way that sort of kick-started their comeback in Manhattan. It's similar to the two touchdowns that we saw in Texas, the first one being the uh, the, the one where he uh, had, you know, when you pause it uh, on, the, on the tape, there are like five Texas guys around him. You don't understand how in the world he got out of that thing. I mean, this guy is is one of the most talented receivers, if not the most talented receiver OU has ever had. And uh, what he's doing is unbelievable. And I, I just think if there's a Heisman candidate on this team, it's CD lamb. That's remarkable, Jason. And that's a, that's a mouthful considering you're talking about DD Westbrook being in New York for the Heisman trophy ceremony only a couple of years ago. 
yeah, I mean, oh, I don't say it lightly. I mean, I, I, I know OU has had a ton of tremendous um, uh, uh, wide receivers over the over the last uh, you know decade, over the last two decades in the Stoops Riley era. Um, you know, you go back to Mark Clayton and uh, you know, and Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard, Dee Westbrook, Marquise Brown, all of these guys. I mean, but. CD Lamb is is perhaps on another level. That's high praise, and and this guy is is that good, and and he's going to be a joy to watch down the down the stretch of the season. So, um, I, what do you what do you want to do? Do you just want to put this game to bed? Do you want do you want to take Lincoln Riley's kind of <laughs> viewpoint on it and say forty two forty one move on? Uh, we've got a game this this Saturday against Baylor on the road undefeated at, in Waco. Don't you think that's the right thing to do to just kind of put it in the rear view and move on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think probably, I mean, I think it's important to remember what happened and, and I think there's still, you know, some things to, to think about in terms of what it means moving forward. But this game this weekend is going to be, it's going to be big. I mean, we still don't really know how good Baylor is, right? I mean, Baylor, that they, they you could make an argument, they should have lost both their last two games. I mean, they almost lost TCU in that crazy overtime game. Um, they didn't play well against West Virginia, uh, you know, two weeks ago or whatever on, um, on, uh, Thursday night. I mean, I don't know how good this Baylor team is, but I've been saying all year that I think that, uh, this was going to be the game that they lost. I, I, I don't even know if I want to revise that necessarily. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm back and forth. I mean, they do play well in November. They do play well after they lose games, all those sorts of things. But I still think Waco's a tough place to play. I just don't know how good Baylor is. It's going to be a really interesting game, and game day's going to be there. It's phenomenal. And if you're an Oklahoma fan, this is the week where you you wake up every morning and you're like, "Is it Saturday yet? Is it Saturday yet?" Because uh, it's it's going to be the showcase uh, of college football. And you know, looking at the AP poll, I, I just want to point out how how strange this is. Is that Baylor's nine and zero, sitting at number twelve in the country, and Oklahoma's eight and one sitting at number 10 in the country and the one loss on Oklahoma's resume is a team that Baylor beat. I mean, talk about the bears getting no respect. I'd be a little annoyed if I was Matt rule and and clearly he'll use that as motivation as he should. And if you're in the locker room, you're, you're scratching your head as well. You're saying, well, we, we beat the team that, that Oklahoma lost to, but they're still ranked ahead of us in the rankings. I don't quite understand that. And it, and it will, it will all play out on the field on Saturday, but just from a, an outsider's point of view, Jason, I think Baylor has the motivational edge in this football game. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I, I definitely think that, um, the, 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 when you look at the overall resumes, I can sort of understand having OU ahead. I mean, OU has some impressive wins. OU's offense is what it is. We thought, you know, Jalen hurts, all those sorts of things. I can sort of understand it from like a human perspective. Again, these are humans making these decisions and, you know, humans are going to always give maybe leeway or precedent to the, uh, to the blue blood. And that's what's, and that possibly is part of what's happening here. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's part of it. I'm sure. Um, because you're right when you have the, the, the common opponent of Kansas state, they both played in Manhattan, Baylor whipped them and OU 
for most of the game, got whipped by them. So I, I would understand Baylor uh, fans, Matt Rule, players, all those people being being annoyed by that. But the fact, like you said, is they can they can fix all this uh, for themselves um, uh, Saturday in, in Waco. The, the, the ultimate question is, if Baylor wins this game and wins it in an impressive fashion, how high will they climb in the playoff rankings? Would they... Uh, do what I think people expect Minnesota to do. I think now that Minnesota sort of proved themselves with that Penn State game, they're they're going to jump into legit national title contender uh, territory in the playoff rankings. Will Baylor have the same effect if they're to beat Oklahoma? Probably should. Uh, if if you beat Oklahoma, a team that's clearly the best team in the Big Twelve for the last couple years. Um, not just a couple years for for a long time since since Texas went down. Um, there's been a couple years where TCU and Baylor popped up. I remember that first year of the college football playoff that you know T- TCU and Baylor were fighting down the stretch to get in, but but Oklahoma has been there ever since. Um, so if there's a if there's a chance to get a program program defining win and and put an asterisk next to a game on the resume for the committee to look at this is this is the game and 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 let's just talk about it straightforwardly as far as matchups are concerned coaches are concerned uh, what this rivalry means there's been a lot of change uh, for for both programs remember uh, when things were cooking at, at Oklahoma and not that they're not now but I'm talking about during the Art Bryles era when, when that Baylor Bears program was cooking and you had Bob Stoops at Oklahoma and you, you kind of blink for a second and all of a sudden Lincoln Riley is, is doing incredible things for the Sooners. Baylor went down into the depths of hell in regards to that program and Matt Rule has just completely taken it and pulled it from those depths back to what we just talked about, a national championship contending program. First of all, how did that happen? over the last five, six, seven years. And, and secondly, put it in a perspective for us. Well, it's, it's, it's been a little bit of a wild ride. I mean, you're talking about um, a, you know, uh, a program that in the early, you know, in 2010, or pardon me, 2011, um, Baylor, Baylor basically jumped into national contention and national prominence and, and all of those things. Uh, because of a win over Oklahoma in, in, in Waco in 2011, they upset OU. That game <clears throat> is, pardon me, is the reason that Robert Griffin III won the Heisman Trophy. That game uh, is what sort of propelled them uh, a couple of years later to, to you know, win the Big 12, to win their first Big 12 title in 2013. And then the next year in 2014, uh, they shared that Big 12 title with TCU and that uh you know, they didn't really share it. I will never believe in shared championships. I think it's ridiculous, especially if you played head to head and Baylor beat TCU. So they were the Big 12 champions in 2014. And, uh, and they just seemed to be rolling. They were a thorn in OU's side. They crushed OU in 2013 and 2014, both years. And then uh, OU beat them in 2015, and that was the last time they played Art Bryles. And then, yeah, the program kind of went to hell, and we all know why. I don't really think we need to get into the uh, gross, disgusting, awful details of that. But the fact that Matt Rule has been able to turn it around as quickly as he has and have them back into this, back into the point where we're even talking about them as you know, a Big 12 champion, much less national champion contender, is pretty remarkable. So Matt Rule, 
Matt Rule's an unbelievable coach. He's gonna he's gonna be getting a lot of attention this offseason uh, for big college jobs and and potentially even for NFL jobs. He will. Uh, he's he's a darn good football coach, and it's a it's a matchup between really great football coaches. Uh, who do you think has the edge uh, in this between Matt Rule and Lincoln Riley? If you had to uh, kind of say one of these guys tactically uh, or game plan wise. Um, should come up with something better. Uh, it's hard not to say that you'd rather have Lincoln Riley in this situation, but how do you look at it? Oh, that's that. That's a tough one. I mean, I I almost feel like anything I say is going to you know it, it would almost be interpreted as a, as a dig at the person. You know what I mean? Like, because, but, but, but I guess, I guess I'll just say it. I, I think it's important to keep in mind one thing. I mean, Lincoln Riley is a genius. He's one of the best coaches in the country and uh, I'm not taking that away from him, but what Matt rule has done at Baylor, I mean, Lincoln Riley was handed the keys to a Ferrari, right? Um, Matt rule was handed the keys to a, uh, you know, a beat up Pinto and, and, uh, and, you know, <laughs> fixed it up and took it into the pimp my ride studio and fixed it up. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, that's just the truth. What Matt rule, yeah, there's no comparing the, the, in terms of rebuilding or in terms of those sorts of things, what Matt rule has done. I don't know if I could really pick one or the other. I'm just saying I, I, and this is again, not to take, I don't want anyone to misinterpret. I'm not taking anything away from Lincoln Riley, but what Matt rule has done in only a couple of years at Baylor is unbelievable. Yeah, and that's why I asked the question. And by the way, one of my favorite things and one of my favorite things to do just in general, not just on this show, is ask you difficult questions and put you on the spot. I think the listeners enjoy that as well. Uh, the line, by the way, is uh, nine and a half. It opened at eight and a half. Oklahoma is the favorite more than a touchdown, and that has moved up to, to nine and a half. And I think that's because, like you, Jason, I think – uh, the boys out in the desert take a look at this Oklahoma football team. They see they see Lincoln Riley and they see Ceedee Lamb and those pieces on the offensive side of the football. And you say, you know what, Oklahoma could possibly cover a number that's more than a touchdown. Do you think Vegas got that right? Uh, where would you have would have uh, put the number? Man, it's it's tough. I mean, on the one hand, I sort of understand the uh, the that OU being the favorite that they are. Um, because, because of the, the offense that they run, because of the way Baylor's played the last couple weeks, I sort of understand that. On the other hand, I think I expected it to be closer. I didn't expect Baylor to be a favorite, but opening at eight and a half and now widening to nine and a half does surprise me a little bit. Uh, it, it does surprise me that it's that big. The sharp money's on Oklahoma right now, too. Uh, 52% of the tickets uh, have come in on Oklahoma, but 62% of the money um, have come in on Oklahoma. That's why that number has jumped a little bit. Uh, the Sharps earlier in the week have identified Oklahoma as a team that could potentially cover the number and beat Baylor. And I think that's what side I'm on right now, too, Jason. And the reason why is because think about it from this perspective, right? If you're the college football playoff committee, would you be more impressed – with an Oklahoma team that just dominated Iowa State at home and won a close game over Baylor on the road, or would you be more impressed with an Oklahoma team that, that beat Iowa State by by one at home but then went on the road to Baylor and absolutely demolished the 9-0 and Baylor Bears? Because in this college football playoff era, margin of victory 
matters. The way the game looks matters. And I think you've hit the nail on the head time and time again on this show, Jason, talking about how the committee is human, how they can't help but to have a human instinct and reaction. And if you see Oklahoma on the day that college game day is in town in Waco, if you see Oklahoma on the road go there and just completely wipe the floor with Baylor, all of a sudden, if you're the committee, are you not more impressed by that scenario? You are, but I also think that, well, again, if we're to believe what they say, um, you know, they would probably also look at the Iowa State game and wonder why they didn't win that one by more. Um, you know, you, you hear uh, the talk about game control and all that kind of stuff. And, and the interesting thing, though, is is that we were talking to, you know, and I was talking two weeks ago about the fact that, you know, Oklahoma was getting blown out in Manhattan but ended up keeping it closer. Um, and, and you know, for, for the first half, uh, OU was blowing out Iowa State and then the game got closer. So it's sort of interesting. I don't really know how all that stuff shakes out in those conversations uh, in that room. Um, so, but, but I mean, I, I, I do feel like the fact that they only, uh, you know, won that game by one point at home and that they needed a, uh, a last second, you know, a, a, a interception on a two point play to, to come away with the win. I, I, I do think that that could come back to haunt them, especially in such a competitive, um, time. I mean, there's so many teams they are going to be up for this. A 12 and one big 12 champion, Oklahoma will always be in contention, but I th- and and certainly if that's where they are when this thing shakes out, the people are going to be talking about them. But if Alabama is still sitting there at uh, uh, you know uh, you know eleven and one, uh, and that's their only loss, and they beat Auburn handily, I, I think that's going to be hard for them to to get past. I, I think I think Alabama is going to have a good shot to get in over in Oklahoma. Uh, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I have two things to say. First and foremost, um, if a one point win at home comes back to haunt you uh, when you're a 12-1 and Big 12 champion, then I, I think there's something wrong with the system. Uh, that, to me, that's absolutely ridiculous if you blow out your next three opponents and then, and then win the, the conference championship game by a nice margin as well. If the committee wants to nitpick and look, look back to this Iowa State football game as a reason to keep Oklahoma out, then um, I guess I'll feel about the committee like, like I always have. That's a complete and, and utter sham. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation we can have down the line on this on this show. But in regards to to Alabama um, and and that loss to LSU, sitting there possibly at eleven one and one at the end of the season, like you said, with a with a win over Auburn, I agree with you. And I'm sure Sooners fans are are not excited to hear that part of the conversation because if Alabama is sitting there at, at eleven and one with a big time win over Auburn to finish the season and Oklahoma continues to look human and vulnerable on defense down the stretch, it's hard not to, to look at the committee and, and say, oh, they're, they're human. Alabama's got Nick Saban. They're 11-1. and one. Tua was a little banged up. Let's give the Tide another chance to, to knock down LSU. I agree with you. I think that's a, a realistic scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is because we know that it is because uh, two years ago, 11-1, non-SEC West champion Alabama got into the playoff. Now, they got some help. They were going up against a two-loss Ohio State Big Ten champion was the other big contender. So that's obviously would be a little bit of a different scenario because Ohio State had two losses compared to one loss for OU. But you know what? I believe, uh, I believed at the time 
then that Ohio State should have gotten in because, and I know that not everyone agrees with me, and I know that this isn't the parameters the committee has set up. I really think conference champions should get precedent. Uh, I think that that should matter. If that doesn't matter, if winning the conference <clears throat> doesn't matter, then you know why why even play the games? Just let the committee uh, line everyone up and watch everybody practice at the beginning of the year and say, okay, according to our eye test, you four are the best teams and you get in. And, and skip everything else. What's the point of playing if the conference championship doesn't matter? I, I firmly believe that, but that's not how things are. No, it's not. College football is as a political sport as there is, not just in this country, but just across the globe. Uh, it's unbelievable how this sport works where you can get a win on the field, but ultimately that could hurt you on the back end, and that is exactly what you just described with this Ohio, this Iowa State game, by the way. You just described a football game that Oklahoma won that could ultimately hurt them on the back end. That situation does not unfold in any other sport in this world. Coast, from uh, across the globe, and, yeah. and I am a world sports fan, and in every other league, wins matter, and that's the only thing that matters. But in college football, there's another wrench into it and that is this human committee um, that we will talk about a lot down the stretch yeah i have i've i've said a bunch of times it is college football is the only sport it's the only division one division one a fbs football is the only sport in the world where there is not a clear way that you get into the postseason into the championship hunt right NFL, you know that you have to win your division or finish as one of the top wildcard teams. And then there's clear parameters of how you get in. NBA, same thing. Major League Baseball, same thing. College basketball, I mean, I know that it's subjective when you get into the at-large bids, but you know that if you win your conference tournament, you're going to have a chance. College football is the only thing that's not like that, that's entirely subjective, entirely up to the whims of uh, people in a room. It's part of the reason why I love European football or soccer, if you will. Uh, The same goes uh, across um, the continent of Europe. Jason, you finish in a packing order based on your results, and those results qualify you for certain tournaments, certain leagues, and your entire franchise or program is dependent on those results. In college football, results are important, but there is just more to it, and we will discuss that down the stretch. This college football playoff race is is far from over. I would argue that it is just getting started, and, and regardless of how we feel about the committee and how these teams play, do you think the playoff is good for the sport? Because I do. I do. I think that the playoff has enhanced the discussion as we get towards the end of the season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It's better than – it's better than it was before. It's better than um, only having two teams uh, with a chance at the end, uh, and it's better than you know college football history pre nineteen ninety eight, where it was completely uh, up to two poles, you know, and and you didn't even get a chance for a one two matchup in the postseason. So it's obviously better. It has evolved. It's gotten better over time, but I still think they have a little ways to go. I mean. Um, I, I still think that it's not, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not original at even close to an original thinker on this one, but I do think that there's a lot of merit to the idea of an 18 playoff where the five power five champions, um, get automatic bids. I think there's a, there's real merit to that. We're on the same page. I think that would be great for the sport. 
if more fan bases stayed involved later into the season. I think one of the biggest issues with college football is is that there's no room for improvement. And you mentioned uh, me being a Penn State grad, and you know I go back to the year where Penn State, as a Big Ten champion at eleven and two, gets jumped by Ohio State, an eleven and one Big Ten East runner-up, the Buckeyes get into the playoff because of simply the loss column. What happens in this college football playoff era just because there's only four spots is that it doesn't allow a team to improve. If you lose early, you could become the best football team in the country, but that loss earlier in the season still matters. It does not take into account how a team can improve. And if there's one constant about football, the one thing that you know is that teams are not the same on September 1st as they are on November 1st for a number of reasons. We're going to continue to talk about the college football playoff race down the stretch here on the outside world. Remember, I'm John Hayes. Jason Kersey joins me as well. You can get Jason on the bonus bonus episode of the outside world Thursdays on the athletic. Just go to the athletic.com slash the outside world, 40% off an annual pres- subscription. You'll get that. You'll get Jason's writing. You'll also get fresh episodes of the Andy Staples show. Uh, if you want to get a, a bigger national look at the college football playoff, if you want to react to Alabama LSU, if you want to react, react to Penn State Minnesota, go check out the Andy Staples show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. I want to finish the conversation today as we're recording on Veterans Day, talking about your piece in The Athletic, and it was a phenomenal one. The letter in the wall, the story of Radio Man Third Class Lawrence Meredith. We touched on it briefly to start the show, but for for those who, who don't know you maybe as well, Jason, can you talk to us about how this affected you personally and why it did so? Oh yeah, I mean it, it. It it absolutely did. It's it's, um, you know, it's it's very easy to, uh, obviously, to forget about the sacrifices that people in the military make today, uh, and especially made you know during the World War II era. And those are things that you know I've obviously read about and heard about and learned about uh, through my life. But this one, this was different. I mean, I. Um, you know, the, I, when I read this letter for the first time and started researching it and discovered, uh, that, that Lawrence Meredith after, you know, a year and a half after, um, receiving a letter from his brother, basically begging him to go to college. He had an opportunity to go to SMU on a full scholarship for two sports to play basketball and football. He was a sort of the all American boy in high school at, at the old central high school in Oklahoma city. And, um, you know, SMU even told him, according to f- the family, the uh, surviving family and the stories that they've heard, that, that SMU told him, you know, we can help keep you out of the war if you come here. And he said that he wanted to serve. And I mean, those, uh, you know, that that's pretty remarkable. But then when you when you read about the way that he died, um, you know, on Normandy Beach, uh, you know, in a foxhole, um, you know, under fire from from the Germans, you really uh it just makes you, how can I put this? It really is difficult for me to comprehend that level of bravery. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I, uh, I, I can't imagine, I can't even 
fathom the level of bravery that it took to, you know, get on that boat and sail across the English Channel and get off knowing what was probably, what was, what was maybe going to happen, you know, um, something I can't fathom. It's something I can't even really relate to. And so it was extremely powerful for me to learn about it. And then to get to meet, and if people will read the story, I don't want to give too much of it away, but if people will read the story, I mean, I was able to meet, um, his nephew, uh, who he never knew and, and his namesake, uh, Larry Meredith, Lawrence Meredith goes by Larry lives in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and I've gotten to know him really well over the last couple months. Um, he actually came down this Saturday. He came down to watch the OU game and um, went to and met my friends for the first time. Went through the house that he used to play in when he was when his grandparents owned it, and it was really watching him walk around and nostalgically remember the uh, the things that he did in that house uh, was really one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And so um, this has been very personally impactful for me, and I'm so fortunate that you know, that my friends bought that house, that the letter fell out of the wall, because I feel like this is something that, that was, you know, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but was almost transformative for me. I mean, I really think that, uh, that this is something that I'll, that I'll keep with me forever. You know, there are certain ways you can think about it. And it's almost like your friends bought that house. So you could ultimately find that letter and, and tell, uh, Larry Meredith's story. You can think about it that way. Um, and people are reading about him today on veterans day as they should, and you, you did a, such a brilliant job with the story. And I'll say my two takeaways are, are, are very similar to yours. And, and the first one is, is um, bravery uh, that it took to, to do that as a radio man um, is, is special in and of itself. And, and we're just so thankful um, for, for all the veterans and especially those who pay the ultimate sacrifice like uh, radio man, first class Lawrence Meredith and, yeah, secondly, Jason, and I think this has a lot to do with, with what we do on a daily basis, and that is, is covering college football. And, and what, was the, the, what were the letters about? You know, The letters were about what? Telling, telling Larry to do what? To go to college. To go to college, <laughs> right, and get an, edu- and, and get an education. Yes. And that was the most important thing for – for Larry's older brother, um, and, and to to share with his his younger brother, hey, get a college ed- education. This is incredibly important. Uh, it'll serve you for the rest of your life. And you know, we sit here and we talk about college football, and we sit here and we talk about Jalen Hurts and and CD Lamb, and and we talk about the stars of this football team. But there's over a hundred more guys part of this Oklahoma program that are ultimately going to achieve what Larry couldn't, and, and that is get a degree. And I, I think sometimes we take that too lightly in the sport of college football, that, that these kids, well, really what they're doing, um, they're going to class, they're trying to set themselves up for the rest of their lives. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's something that, um, <clears throat> you know, again, SMU would have uh, honored his scholarship after uh, the war, and that's something that, you know, there are a lot of guys – um, that, that did do that. I mean, a lot of the college football in the late forties is, is just filled with, uh, you know, guys in their late twenties or whatever, who uh, came back from the war and, 
and played football. And, um, you know, Oklahoma has a lot of guys like that. Uh, Bud Wilkinson's early dynasty was sort of built on guys like that. And so uh, Larry Meredith, Lawrence Meredith certainly could have been uh, one of those guys for SMU. In fact, it's crazy. He could, he would have played with Doak Walker if, if he had, uh, if he had come back. So um, anyway, it's been, it's, it's one of the most profound things I've ever sort of experienced. And, and I'm so fortunate that I was able to tell his story. You know, one thing that sticks with me, one antidote from this story is is uh, Larry's nickname being Goon and the fact that he was a, a center and he also played defense. This guy was all over the field, Jason. I mean, he, they called him Goon because he had a, a what, a, a chipped tooth, and that's because yeah. he used to just lower his head. And by, the, by the way, they, these, are, these are leather helmet days. Larry was lowering that head uh, with no face mask and just um, – taking people to town on that on the gridiron so it's just I'm, I'm sitting here smiling thinking about it you know I, I I didn't know Larry Meredith but to to think of him on on this Veterans Day along with by the way uh you know my grandfather uh my great uncle and and his two brothers um who who served in in World War II um my my great uncle my my grandfather's brother was, was buried on Iwo Jima um, and, and our family still thinks about that today. So th- there's connections, um, between all former and current servicemen that I think that we should be thankful for on a daily basis. Without, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, with that, Jason, I'll, I'll wrap up the, this, this episode. And first of all, say, say thanks for writing that and, um, appreciate all your coverage of, of Oklahoma and, and the Sooners football program. Uh, did you have a good time at night? I know we had talked about that for a while. You wanted to enjoy a night game, and, and you finally got it. Did you Did you enjoy that on Saturday night? I did. I got to watch college football throughout the day. Um, I got to watch. Uh, well, got to. I, you know, I tortured myself a little bit by watching Arkansas completely melt down uh, early in the day against Western Kentucky. As most, pe- I think, listeners know, I used to cover them and. Uh, obviously we all know now that Chad Morris has been fired, but man, what a disaster that was, but got to watch some other games and uh, it was kind of nice to have the whole day to, to enjoy before, um, before that. And, and I'll also say this, uh, to bring it back to Lawrence Meredith, if it had not been a night game, he wouldn't have been able to come by my friend's house and that part wouldn't have been in the story. So everything worked out really well. It certainly did. The letter in the wall, the story of radio man, third class Lawrence Meredith. It's a great great read on veterans day if you go to the outside world uh podcast uh you can you can hear about it uh you can also read about it at the athletic.com slash the outside world go there um to see the story just search jason kersey if you're not a subscriber uh you can sign in with a 40 percent off link on your annual subscription i'm john hayes jason kersey we'll look forward to your subscriber only episode later in the week you'll dive uh, further into to the, to the matchup with the Bears, I take it. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we will uh, we'll have a guest and we will uh, talk talk a lot more about that game specifically. Cool. So you can catch that if you're an athletic subscriber as well, and all the great content that we have at the Athletic for, by the way, less than than a latte a month. Uh, I'm John Hayes at John Hayes on air on Twitter. Jason Kersey at Jason Kersey. Make sure you follow us there. Tweet at us. Uh, let us know. Uh, some of the takes that you disagree with so we can fire back at you. That's always fun. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.